Hello, everybody. Made it last week, but I, oh. Don't, okay, I'm letting it go. It's fine, it's more in my face, so I can see it better anyway. So, it's funny that uh, you kind of mix up the word faith and face, because if, for the one or two of you that were here last week, Tim talked last week about like praying his face off, basically. Uh, it was a wonderful image. Um, of him just pouring himself out. Um, I don't want to make light of your, uh, your plight, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful uh, image. So, um, since most of you weren't here, because there were only like, I don't know, four of us last week, five of us <laughs> last week. <laughs> you know, just to kind of recap what Tim was talking about last week. Um, he talked, you know, he, you guys got maybe read the email, but Tim talked about this idea of faith, uh, Jesus laying down the gauntlet for us in terms of faith in uh, the text that was read from Mark uh, today. This idea of like, if we have crazy, if we have faith and we don't waver or doubt, uh, the reading today says waver, which is probably a better translation than doubt. Um, uh, then like, we can move mountains, crazy things will happen, the impossible can be possible. Um, but at the same time, last week, Tim presented us with uh, his own you know, confrontation with this. this uh, his, Tim's deeply embodied attempt to take on this kind of faith and it not working out for him. Um, but rather than turning to cynicism, he asked us to go with it, to not drop this idea of the impossible of taking on faith. So I'm gonna go with that, because my initial inclination is to start off in saying it's not possible. Um, the impossible is not possible. Um, it's possible with God, I mean, God can do it, but it still probably won't happen. Um, but Tim, I'm gonna go with your proposition and stick with it. Also, just a quick note, uh, on uh, Friday, um, was it no on Thursday? Right after I sent you that email, um, I I was having uh, just before that I had lunch with uh, Doug Campbell, who's a professor at Duke in um, uh, Paul's Epistles, and he kind of messed with my sermon a bit. My, I had lunch with him. It's a really fluke accident that I did, but he asked me about my sermon and. It, kind of rattled around. So what got sent out in the email, I hope I go there, but if it doesn't totally go the way my email said, I don't think Tim cares either. But uh, as long as something was sent out, so um, bear with me. So, so Tim, uh, actually, I'll kind of talk about what Tim presented last week through, through my sermon. But, um, but I will start with the idea that wanting the impossible to happen inevitably leads to pain, suffering, and failure. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but that when you really want something to happen, and you really deeply need it to happen, and you pour yourself into it, like when Tim was praying with his face, literally pouring out of his face, um, he talked about the kind of like visceral sensibility of pain. It just, it, entered into every part of his being. And that, I believe, is inevitable when we talk about wanting the impossible to happen, to, to try to attempt to have the faith to make that happen. So uh, for me, 
um, that kind of, I grew up in a similar religious context as Tim, so um, I'm coming from a similar place and I was recently uh, talking to my therapist been, uh, when I was diagnosed with uh, depression, um, the therapist, uh, their main diagnosis for my depression was that I suffered from perfectionism, which I found a little bit surprising because I don't do anything perfectly. It's not one of those like bogus, uh, you know, humble brag kind of things. Um, it, it's, just, uh, it's just a pathology um, for me. Um, <laughs> that's all it is. Um, but, you know, growing up in uh, a highly achievement-oriented context with a sense of honor and shame, adding on a particular evangelical zealousness, um, I had a deep sense of fear and failure a fear of failure and related shame. And when I couldn't get something done, do it right, you know, whether it was believing uh, the kind of crazy faith propositions presented in front of me or, you know, whether it was just trying to get a paper done. Um, there were so many times when I had like a stack of like a hundred books to get like a 12 page paper done and I'm like stuck rewriting my first paragraph like for the 50th time and uh, that, you know, um, that's, and the more that stack got bigger, the more I rewrote, the deeper my sense of failure and shame would come into play, which eventually leads to despair. And um, H. Richard Niebuhr, who's uh, the lesser uh, known uh, theologian among uh, two brothers, talks about, uh, this kind of lesser faith that gets revealed, especially when it fails us, he calls it henotheism. Um, and this idea of henotheism is, you know, you put your, uh, you put your faith or your uh, kind of purpose all into one cause and, you know, all the meaning of your life is derived in it. And when it fails, you know, everything crumbles and fails. There's, it's, it's hard to cope with that loss when that happens. And for me, that sense of perfectionism is my henotheism. And I didn't realize that until my therapist pointed out to me. I was trying to put my faith now in a more loving and grace-filled God. But at the same time, my personality, my sensibilities still uh, were locked into this uh, sense of perfectionism. Um, but I think this is a place where Kierkegaard is helpful. Tim brought uh, Kierkegaard up last week, so I'm rolling with it. I know this is Tim. You know, I, I, feel, uh, I feel I need to be in dialogue with him, uh, with him since Fear and Trembling was like the first book he talked about when we first met. Um, <laughs> and like usually if you meet him and have a theological question, he'll tell you to you know, read uh, Fear and trembling. If you don't, don't read the cliff notes. Tim will get mad at you and he'll want to kill you. Um, uh, so there's no grace there if you do that. Um, but you know, one of the one of the aspects that uh, Kierkegaard talks about on the way to this faith, amazing faith that Abraham has when he decides that he's going to obey God and sacrifice Isaac, is this idea of resignation. Um, this idea that we accept, that we start to accept that we can't make the impossible happen, that we are finite, that the things that we desire are finite, and you know, um, uh, it would 
be of an angsty person to use uh, you know, the context of a relationship of this uh, person who really wants to pursue a woman, can't get her, but, uh, uh, and, and on that way realizes they can't. But what happens after that is what he, he constitutes as faith. Um, but, and this is where uh, we all kind of go to, whether this resignation happens through despair, whether it happens, uh, or maybe some of us don't go it and uh, gloss over it with a sense of cheerful uh, optimism. But entering into this resignation is an important uh, kind of gateway into, uh, or stage into faith. But what Kierkegaard then talks about the paradox of faith is that we actually, once we resign ourselves to the fact that this thing is impossible, we have to go a step beyond and have faith and believe that it's still possible. Um, and which is the crazy thing. And, and this idea of having faith when once we realize that it's not possible, then to make that leap of faith into thinking that it's possible sounds kind of, you know, like weird uh, paradoxical circular logic. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and Kierkegaard affirms this by saying, yeah, I don't have it. I don't know anyone does. There might be this one guy that does that I knew way back when. Abraham had it, but, you know, you know, God helped him have a baby when he was like a hundred, or Sarah, Sarah was like a hundred years old. So maybe that helped, but, um, but even Kierkegaard says that I don't really know anybody that has this faith. And I think, I think this is the challenge of what uh, Tim then said, talks about when he talks about ecclesial faith, the faith that the church brings to us and teaches us. I think, and one of the things that's happening within the scholarship around Paul's letters in the Bible is this idea of whose faith does the saving work. Is it our faith in Jesus that saves us, which is uh, the more kind of traditional um, way of understanding faith, or is it actually God's faith that saves us? And it hinges around just this really weird uh, translation, um, the Greek term being pistis Christu. Um, and it could be translated in two different ways. It could be faith in Christ or the faith of Christ. And right now, the scholarship is moving towards accepting this idea that actually it should be translated the faith of Christ rather than the faith in Christ. But for me, growing up in church, this idea that we needed to have faith in Christ and that's what saved us was what was like deeply embedded into the communal theology and thinking. Right? And this doesn't help anybody's sense of perfection within that community. Because inevitably, when it's about your faith and you have to believe perfectly, and that's what's going to save you, that's what's going to put you into a relationship with God, when doubt starts to creep in, then do you lose your faith? What happens to it? Are you, do you lose your salvation? Um, you know, the stakes are kind of high in the community I was in, because if you're not saved, you'd like... You, they literally believe you die and go to hell and you burn like for eternity. Like you burn, but you never burn up and it's like everlasting and um, you know. I never went to those hell houses because I was too old for that. Uh, but if you've heard of that, it's, you know, they try to really make you feel that the stakes are really high, uh, what happens. But 
And so you have this constant anxiety of whether or not you have enough faith. Because if you don't, you're screwed for eternity. Um, but that kind of conflicts with this other Christian idea of grace, right? That, that it is that our salvation is freely earned. Um, but if we have to try really hard to have, believe something or to put our trust in something and never waver and never have doubts, then our, uh, that doesn't really feel like grace. It really feels like you have to really work really hard at it to get this thing. So, you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to stake the claim that I, I really do believe where the Pauline scholars are going these days are right. That within, within the kind of uh, working of Christ, like Christian theology, it makes a lot more sense to say that we are saved actually by Jesus's faith rather than our faith. And I think this has everything to do with this paradox of faith that Kierkegaard talks about. Where does this like, extra jump of faith comes from? Does it come from us? Or does it come from God? And you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about as uh, there are now babies in the community, and I just recently had a baby. She's just turned 10 months old today. Um, you know, Tim asked this uh, me this question a while ago. Uh, would you be disappointed if your child said, uh, grew up and like denounced Christianity and decided to walk away from the church? I don't know if you remember this conversation, but, but you did. Um, and, uh, and it really made, and he was asking me this question as uh, we were kind of uh, about to baptize our daughter. And me and my wife, who's also a pastor, were deeply contemplating this idea of what, what does it mean for our child to be baptized? Um, and, you know, for me, this, the affirmation of baptism is this acceptance by, by God through the community, accepting our, unconditionally accepting our child into the world, building trust that this community and God, that God through this community through the Christian community abroad is committed to our child. And that, that, that commitment is, be, takes on a literal you know, body form. If like, you know, Emily and I should like, die in a car accident or something should happen, that there are people to really be there. Or that if like, I just go crazy, um, that these people would be there um, for, uh, for our girl. And, and so I, I believe, and so my trust in that baptism process is that when our daughter gets uh, baptized and the community is there to affirm it, that I trust that if the community, if God through the community lives up to its promise, then I don't think, I, I do hope and trust that Selah will uh, reciprocate one day that trust and commitment back to the community. Um, and so if I feel that that hasn't happened, then I will be more disappointed in the, in the church and, the, and in God um, than I would necessarily in our girl. Because if, 
if our girl finds that uh, that you know the Christian community that that the promises that we claim um, are not trustworthy, that people are not committed to her, then I don't really think it's worth you know her deciding to one day confirm that commitment and choose to uh, like enter into full membership uh, as a Christian. Um, at least in the Presbyterian Church. Um, <laughs> and so to me, that really reworked my sense of what faith is when I thought about baptism. That it is faith rather than a set of like cognitive beliefs, that it's an intellectual activity that we do, that it's more a process of commitment and trust. That faith, if it really is a gift from God and it comes from God, that it always starts with God's commitment to us. And this is the way it plays, the narrative plays out. God always commits to people first. People don't, you know, one day come to a rational, you know, uh, or even spiritual, like, uh, just kind of uh, eureka moment in believing God. God comes to them. God reveals God's self. God commits to them. God commits to Abraham first, long before Abraham decides he's going to do this crazy thing and kill Isaac on be, you know, for God. God first commits to Abraham. Um, and thankfully, God says, no, bad idea, you know, uh, don't do it. But that's where this uh, commitment starts, that it comes from God, that faith is, starts with commitment. and. I think God's deep desire uh, within the biblical narrative is that through that commitment that we start to accept that and to trust that and then to reciprocate that commitment. And that commitment, you know, is always played out within the community and communi uh, committing to other folks. Um, how am I doing on time, Tim? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to wrap it up uh, pretty soon here. Um, but. So this kind of extra step that we take in trusting and having more faith always is initiated. The initiative is always on God to take to give us more faith. That if we don't have it, then we need God to commit to us more and that we need to trust more. And then we can take this commitment to try to make the impossible happen. Um, but there has to be a sense of trust behind it, even though we already like rationally, um, viscerally have already resigned ourselves that it's impossible. And I think this sense of acceptance, uh, it, it resonates so deeply with me, with my sense of perfection. This, and, and related to my sense of honor and shame, right? Um, there, there's nothing, in, nothing I can do that I can do perfectly. But the problem with uh, perfectionism is that there are so many times when I know I can't do something perfectly and I fall into despair and I choose not to even try. Um, that, you know, that the, I always make the perfect the enemy of the good, right? Um, that even that even the attempt to do it is not there because uh, the sense of shame uh, takes away my sense that I am accepted in the world. 
Um, I need a sense, uh, a divine sense and a communal sense that I am accepted so that I can take that step of trying. Um, even though I, you know, whatever it is, I will never like make that impossible happen. To, to attempt to try is a leap of faith. And it, it comes through us to that acceptance. And, and I think this is where, like, it, but it doesn't just like come magically from God. Like, it would be really nice if like you were there and all of a sudden you got this deep sense of like acceptance and gratitude from the cosmos, which may happen like, Tillich talks about this like sense of acceptance that comes like all of a sudden when everything is shitty. Um, but usually that doesn't happen. When we're uh, usually that sense of acceptance comes through us in the form of community. That this practice of divine acceptance happens through our godmothers and godfathers in the church who are committed to that sense of baptism. That sense that. God has accepted us, and we as a community will try to embody that acceptance, that through that acceptance that we can step out and take leaps of faith to attempt to do the impossible and to know that we're still accepted when we can't make it happen or we're failing to make it happen. Because so much of life is lived in the struggle to, to try and try and try and try again. But that meaningfulness comes and not despair comes from that faith that God shows in us. So, you know, I, my challenge to you is this. I'm like, as a recent father, like you now have at least two babies in your midst, maybe more. Um, I would say pursue that commitment to them. Um, they can't, you know, like Neil and Allison right now, they're not going to be able to do it on their own. Like that, that's that's clear. It's like even with a fully healthy baby, like um, you like you go crazy as a parent, and it's impossible. Um, this idea that two parents can just raise a child is an insane proposition. Um, uh, and but it's not just those two young people. It's w with each other. You know, as we go searching for meaning and faith on our own. Um, maybe in this Kierkegaardian way, in this individual kind of relationship with God kind of way, it really, that acceptance, that more faith happens because you commit to each other. That it's in that struggle of continued acceptance and commitment and hopefully trust that there is a place for you in this universe and that you can commit to something in it. Um, that's all. Um, and, uh, should we Q and A it or is that it? Yeah. You want to do some? Sure. So, um, sorry that that went longer than I uh, <laughs> anticipated. Again, uh, it got screwed up a little bit. But um, how do you guys feel about this proposition between faith that? Has to, that we have to generate it or that it comes from outside of us. Is that helpful or is that unhelpful or um, is that, um, or does that even align with your sense of what faith is? 